My dear brethren and sisters in Christ Jesus, yesterday afternoon we made the point that a very good way of reading the Word of God, that is in the doing of our daily readings, that we set ourselves a task as we enter it upon any book. For example, we might be reading a certain book, we might commence a certain book in the day's readings, and we are going to determine in ourselves that we will follow or seek out from that particular book some features concerning some subject. I pointed out yesterday that by so doing we will concentrate our mind upon the readings much better because we will be searching for something. And we will not be doing the readings merely because it's a habit or we look upon it as a law. But we will be doing those readings because we will be searching for something and we will find a far greater interest in the readings when we have something in our mind. Now in the book of Daniel, there are many subjects that we can follow through as we, did, as we would do the daily's readings. And one of them, and a very prominent one, is in relation to the manipulation of the angels in the life of Daniel. And that we're going to engage ourselves upon this morning. But before doing so, just one or two other references to lead up to this. First of all, in Psalm 103, we have the ministration of the angels clearly set before us as those ministering spirits sent forth the minister for them who are the heirs of salvation. That is, the ministering spirits in heaven that Yahweh has de designed should be for our benefit. And in this 103rd Psalm, and at verse 20, we have the statement, Bless Yahweh, all his angels, that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless ye Yahweh, all his hosts, ye ministers of his that do his pleasure. Bless Yahweh, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless Yahweh, O my soul. And again in the next psalm, he speaks of them in verse 4. Who maketh these angels spirits, his ministers a flaming fire. And so the angels are spirits, that is, they are spirit beings. They are corporeal, but they are spirit nature. And they are his servants to perform his will. And they excel in strength. And they are his ministers. And they are sent forth to be ministers of the heirs of salvation. But we must understand this, that though the angels are ministering spirits in that way, and though they overshadow our lives, they do not necessarily always bring us out of danger or deliver us from evil. Because very often it is necessary for us to go through an apprenticeship of evil and of trouble and of danger to perfect our characters in the sight of Yahweh our God. We remember the words of Jacob again when he blessed his grandsons and made mention of the angel that had cared for him throughout his life. But consider the life of Jacob and remember the troubles that he went through and the fears that he had and all the circumstances of his life that developed the character of that great man and remade that man in the eyes of Yahweh. Those were the things that the angels brought upon him to the benefit, his ultimate benefit. Take any of the worthies along. They weren't invariably delivered from danger and from trouble. 
a man like David went through it all. Imagine the grief of heart of David as his own son drove him from that throne. And as he had to go into exile and have, as he had to learn the lesson of humility. And when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, we read of him that though he were a son, yet learned the obedience by the things that he suffered. And he is an example to us all. The angels overshadowed his life in the garden of Gethsemane when he poured out his prayer unto God with such intensity that the sweat came down as great drops of blood. The angels came and strengthened him. But he was delivered to danger and he was delivered to death. And that was part of the apprenticeship of him as he led the way to glory and gave an example to ourselves. And these are the things we must learn in life. It's not invariably that we're going to be delivered from trouble and very often we bring that trouble upon ourselves by our own folly. And sometimes I think that the angels of heaven might be trying to guide us out of a certain uh, uh, direction but we persist in going in that other direction and then wonder why it is for all our prayers we might suffer. And I want to tell you now why we have to suffer. And I want to show this from one of the divine titles or names of deity. You know, there are many names of deity in the word of God. I have listed well over 50 different names and titles of deity, all of which reveal to us something of that great God whom we serve. And I want to introduce you to one that has a very personal application to our lives. And that is found in Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 9. And this has a bearing upon the book of Daniel. We haven't forgotten the book of Daniel today, I can assure you. We'll be going into the book of Daniel today. And, but in Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 9. Woe unto him that striveth with his maker. Let the potsherd strive with the potsherds of the earth. Say, shall the clay say to him that fashioned it, What makest thou? For thy work he hath no hands. Verse 11. Thus saith Yahweh the Holy One of Israel and his Maker. Ask of me things to come concerning my sons and concerning the work of my hands. Command ye me. Notice the title given to him there. Yahweh his Maker. Or Yahweh our Maker. And mention of that is made in verse 9 and verse 11. And elsewhere as well. Now that's a divine title. And the Hebrew word is the word Yotza. Y-A-T-S-A-R. Yotza. And the word Yotza signifies to press into shape. To mould. To press into shape. So that here we have a title of deity that defines him as the one that presses us into shape that moulds us according to his purpose. And he brings upon us certain circumstances that will press us into shape. That's the meaning of that title. And that's a function of Yahweh in the development of his sons. If you turn to Psalm 43, you will see the difference here between maker and creator. Because in, not Psalm 43, I'm sorry, Isaiah 43. And verse 1. Isaiah 43 and verse 1. But now, thus saith Yahweh that created thee. Now there's Yahweh as creator, you see. 
Yahweh that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel. And that word formed is the word rendered maker in that other place. So what does God do? He creates and then he forms. He presses into shape. And that is why that is a very, very important name or title of deity. Yahweh our maker. Or Yahweh the officer. The one that presses us into shape. And now look again at that verse before us. Isaiah 43 and verse 1. He created Jacob, he formed Israel. Notice the difference. He created Jacob, but he formed Israel. Because his name was changed, wasn't it? His name was changed after he had wrestled with God. That is the angel. His name was changed to Israel. A prince with oil. A prince with God. And therefore, you see, there was the change. And the man Jacob became named Israel. And he had been formed now pressed into shape the very circumstances of his life, the very difficulties he went through, the very experiences of his life, pressed him into shape. And he was a changed man, a remade man. And Jacob became Israel. And that is the influence that Yahweh can have upon every one of us. And now with that in mind, bearing in mind the Creator whom we serve in that way, the very name of Yahweh who would in that very name express to us the principle that he wants to see revealed, let us have a look at the means whereby he uses that uh, principle to mould our lives. And you will find then, I believe, unless you are unique, you will find every one of you, you are being subjected to that pressure. In the 14th chapter of Acts, and at verse 22, we have these words. And let me say this, that if you're not subject to your pressure, this pressure, you won't get the kingdom of God. So we read in the 14th chapter of Acts and verse 22 that the Apostle Paul commended certain words to the brethren. He confirmed the souls of the disciples and exhorted them to continue in the faith and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. There's your pressure. And that word tribulation means pressure. It doesn't mean physical persecution. It doesn't mean going through the fire or losing your life. It means pressure. And the very pressures of life, they are the things that are moulding our characters. And notice the change in that verse. You can see that as Luke is recording this, Evidently, Paul became very excited at that point because Luke suddenly comes into the first person, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. And to my mind, I can sense an emphasis upon those very words. We must, we must through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. And they are the pressures without. Those pressures without can crush us and destroy us. And by being, uh, and by the pressures without, I mean the ordinary pressures of life that come upon us in the home, in the business, in our relationships with people. I mean normal things of life form a pressure upon our life that will crush and destroy us 
unless we have a counter-pressure from within. If you were to get an empty can and put a little bit of water in that and heat it up so much as that can is that, has that steam inside building up, that can will resist the pressure from without. Remove that, create a vacuum and the can goes like that, smash. The pressures of life that come upon every one of us in any circumstances of life will crush and destroy us unless we have a counterbalancing pressure within. Where are you going to get it? You might say, well, I am determined to do certain things. But that's not the pressure. The pressure is this book. The pressure is what you're doing this week. And as you come to this place and you study around the Word of God, the idea is to gain something out of that Word that will inside you make up a counter-pressure to the pressures without. Then the world can't touch you. The world can't affect you. But Yahweh, the, the, the maker, Yahweh, the one that moulds us into shape, is allowing those pressures to come upon us that he might mould us accordingly. But we must place within ourselves that pressure, the counterbalancing pressure of the word. And that's what Daniel did. And Daniel, because he did that, he was able to succumb, he was able to, uh, uh, to uh, resist every pressure that came upon him in the manifestation of those problems with which he was faced. Daniel was greatly influenced by these circumstances. He put his trust in his God and he was helped by angelic ministration. Consider, for example, the, uh, the ministration that you have in chapter 1 and verse 9. Now here we have the hidden, the hidden presence of Yahweh in his ministers. Now God had brought Daniel into favour and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. How was that brought about? We do not know the circumstances. Nor would Daniel have known the circumstances. But there hidden behind the scene, there was the angelic ministration that in some way had manipulated things to that extent that Daniel was brought into favour and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. And what happened then to the youthful Daniel, that teenage boy of perhaps 17 or 18 years of age, what happened then lay the foundation of all that happened throughout that book. The challenge that came upon him then when he was thrust into the University of Babylon, when he was determined that as far as he was concerned he would not submit to that which was being imposed upon him. When the crisis came, when he could go no further, he went as far as he could, and now he's going to resist it. And so he tells the prince of the eunuchs, he's not prepared to do it. Come what may, he is not prepared to do it. And now in some way, there's been angelic ministration that opens the way, that opens the way. Same as I told you yesterday, when we stood in court, and I was absolutely helpless, I couldn't do a thing. And yet there was a manipulation of things, quite amazing. Quite amazing. I've never got over it until that boy, who even then had not been baptised and therefore according to the legal uh, constitution of Australia shouldn't have been granted exemption, was given it. How was it brought about? I don't know. Afterwards they say, well you did very well. What did they do? I sweated. That's all. And was helpless. And he quoted the commandments of Christ and they thought it was the Ecclesial Constitution. 
But I believe that there was there the, the manipulation of things. That boy has advanced so much today that when I first met him, he couldn't speak. When I say he couldn't speak, he just sit and look at me. But today, he takes his place on the platform reading and he's advanced and he's developed in an amazing way. And I see the hand of Yahweh Yotzer in this through the ministration of his angels. So here we have it the same with Daniel, you see. In some way, we're not revealed. He had brought Daniel into favour and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. And so as far as Daniel was concerned, he was delivered out of that problem. Now see another circumstance in his life. In chapter 2, when there's a problem upon him, he is going to be destroyed with the rest of the wise men unless the king can receive an answer to his request. And Daniel calls all his friends together that they might communally approach the Father in prayer. And that is how he expresses uh, his conception of Yahweh in uh, chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. He changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. How does he do it? How does he remove kings and set up kings? How does he manipulate the affairs of the nations so that there is being brought about the circumstances that uh, he desires to see? The angels are the ministering spirits sent forth to minister the, to the heirs of salvation. And you know in the book of Revelation, in the 16th chapter of the book of Revelation, it speaks of the work of the angels in the outpouring of the vials so that the very things that we are seeing developing today in the earth are accomplished by the work of angels. And the work of the angels are to do this, to remove kings, set up kings and so forth and to manipulate affairs according to the purpose of Almighty God, Yahweh in the heavens. In the fourth chapter of Daniel and at verse 17, those angels are described as the watchers and the holy ones. Two titles given to them. They are watchers and they are holy ones. They are watchers because they are the eyes of Yahweh that go to, to and fro through the earth. Remember the words of the king of Israel at a time of crisis when he told the people there are more with us than there are with him. And yet there were thousands with the enemy. And he spake at that time of the eyes of Yahweh that passed to and fro through the earth. Same as you have it in the 19th chapter of, um, of uh, Genesis when the, when the angels were sent down because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah had risen up to heaven. Not that Yahweh needed to report upon the conditions of Sodom and Gomorrah. Not that he required that at all. He didn't need that. He knew all that was going on there. He didn't need to physically send angels there. But he remembered Lot in the midst of that city. And those angels were sent down there, not merely to see the conditions in, the, in Sodom and Gomorrah, but to play their part in rescuing Lot at that particular time. So here you see, they are watchers. They are watching the development of the signs of the times and they are watching over the lives of individual saints that they might be brought to the kingdom. 
And not only are they watchers, but they are holy ones. And the word means that they are clean, that they are righteous, and therefore they cannot bear evil, and they cannot bear sin. You can imagine what those holy ones thought of Sodom and Gomorrah when they went through the streets of the city and they saw the terrible wickedness of that place. You can imagine what angels would feel as they would walk through the streets of Adelaide today. It's bad enough when I do it. But when one that is so holy as an angel would do that and he considers the, 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 the man in, in charge, the Prime Minister of South Australia, who was a criminal... Uh, in my opinion, uh, when you consider that, the heart of angels must be grieved at what they see there. And therefore they are watchers and holy ones. And we need to bear that well in mind. That they are conscious of what we are doing all the time. They are watchers. And they are holy ones. Therefore we should reflect the same quality in our lives as is re represented in this fourth chapter of Daniel and at verse 17 or in verse 13, a watcher and a holy one. They are shown supervising the overthrow and the decline of Babylon. Notice what we read in verse 15, the voice of the angel. Now verse 14, Hew down the tree and cut off his branches, shake off his leaves, scatter his fruits, let the beast get away from under it and the fowls from his branches, Nevertheless, leave the stump of his roots in the earth with a band of iron and brass and the tender grass of the field and let it be wet with the dew of heaven. This is the voice of the angel. And they are discussing what they're going to do as far as Babylon is concerned. And so Babylon is declined and brought to the, uh, to the end. Let us do this, they say. Let us do that. Remember what you read in the first chapter of Genesis. Let us make man in our own image. And so the Elohim are discussing what they're going to do as they work the work of Yahweh in the heavens. And here, let us do this and let us do that as far as Babylon is concerned. So here we have again the angelic manipulation of things. In verse 17, we read that the most whole, high ruleth in the kingdom of men. And he rules in the kingdom of men through the ministration of angels. That particular title of deity is most appropriate at that place. You couldn't have a more appropriate title of deity. You first come upon that title in Genesis chapter 14. And in Genesis chapter 14, you remember Kedalawama and his forces moved down into the land and were destroyed by the uh, forces of Abraham. Men that were not skilled in war. Men that were men of faith. And they went forward and they destroyed and overthrew the forces of Kedalaama. And when they came back, they were blessed by Melchizedek. And he blessed Abraham, servant of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And that's what that title means. Possessor of heaven and earth. And it's quite significant that it should be used in this context. The possessor of heaven and earth. He rules in the kingdoms of men. You'll find him ruling in the Daily Telegraph today with, uh, with uh, compliments to uh, Brother John Raper. You'll find him ruling there. Why? Because in the Daily Telegraph of today, it is recorded that Libya has called upon Russia to use their sea facilities and to bring their ships down to that part of Libya. 
because they say we're frightened of Egypt. And so the nations are gradually coming into the position that we find in the book of Daniel or the prophecy of Ezekiel. And that is an angelic ministration. You can explain it by natural means. Of course you can. They use those natural means. Babylon declined in, natural, in a natural way. Our own lives are governed by natural things. But behind all that, there are the manipulation of these angels. Consider the third chapter of Daniel, verse 25. The staggering attention of Nebuchadnezzar. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. But it should be rendered a Son of the Gods. Not the Son of God. The word is Bar Elohim, Son of the Gods. What he saw was not the Son of God, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He saw an angel, and he tells us that in uh, verse uh, 28. He sent his angel and delivered his servants. He was a pagan, and he saw a son of the gods there. He looked upon himself as a son of the gods, incidentally. He looked upon himself as divine. But what he saw in the midst of the fire was, another, was an angel, and he described him as the son of the gods. And uh, he's in the midst of the fire, walking with those men there, in the midst of the fire. And he could walk with us in the midst of the fire. And of course that is the principle that is advanced in this particular chapter. Again, let us go to the fifth chapter of Daniel. See here the angelic ministration in the life of Daniel the prophet. We know the circumstances of this chapter. The great feast of Belshazzar, when uh, he tasted of the wine, verse 2, and commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines might drink thereof. And here was an orgy in the palace of Belshazzar the king. And not only an orgy, but they bring forth those vessels and they blaspheme the God of heaven. And outside the walls of that city, there are the kings of the east, Cyrus and his forces, drying up the river Euphrates, the same as we see it today in the Middle East. And while they're doing that inside that city, they're giving themselves over to feasting and to an orgy, exactly as they are in the world today. Here is an exact parallel to the world as we see it at the present time. And they're giving themselves over to that form of pleasure, whilst at the door the kings of the east are thundering at the walls of the city of Babylon. And then in the midst of that orgy, in the midst of that feast, when the vessels of Yahweh are brought out and these people with impious hands take them into that place and they blaspheme the God of Israel and mock at him as the world is blaspheming and mocking at the God of Israel at this present time. As that is happening, all of a sudden the king, his eyes catch this hand that is writing upon the wall as we have it in that verse we quoted there. In the same hour came forth the fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the lamp stand upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace and the king saw the part of the hand that wrote 
and the king's countenance was changed and his thoughts troubled him and the joints of his loins were loose. His knees knocked together. He went pale with fright. All he could see upon the wall was a hand. And what is more, that hand didn't write English like that. It wrote Hebrew, which is that way. And as it wrote Hebrew, it covered the writing. And the hand was there and it stopped there. And no one could read that writing because the hand was there. He brings in the wise men. He says, look, read that writing to us. Those wise men have got to get hold of that hand and tear it away. Who's going to get hold of a hand that's poised there and tear that hand away? Their knees knocked together as well. Their faces go pale as well. They say, we can't do it, O king. And that hand is there. And the writing is covered. And that's the same today. The hand covers the writing. People don't read that book with understanding. That is the writing that was on the wall in the palace of Belshazzar whilst the enemy was knocking at the gates of that city and the people were filled with fear whilst they feasted in that fashion. The hand was there. But look, it says that Daniel was brought in before the king and the hand went away. You find that when the king was there, when Daniel was brought in, in before the king, then the part of the hand, verse 24, the part of the hand sent from him and the writing was revealed. So what happened, you see? Having written that in Hebrew, which is, uh, I'm going to get this right. We write left to right, don't we? Yes, that was right to left. Having written like that, covered the Hebrew writing like that, Daniel comes in, stands before the hand, and the hand goes away. And there is just common words that anyone could have read. It needed no ability to read those words that were upon the on the wall. None at all. They're just ordinary common words. So it will be when the purpose of God is revealed in the earth. And it is shown the hand is taken away and the judgment is there upon the nations. Just common words that anyone could read and understand. And people will say, like the Queen of Sheba, look, we did not understand the half of it. And so it will be in that day. Again in the sixth chapter, you have again the angelic ministration. Because when Daniel is taken into that uh, lion's den and thrust into the lion's den, a man about 90 years of age, you imagine that, 90 years of age, having lived his life in all the circumstances that he had to that point of time, possibly waiting now for either death or whatever Yahweh had of him is now cast into the lion's den. But consider that man at that age. He's made a president in the realm. And the other presidents are filled with envy at him. And they know this. And here we have an index of his character. In verse 5 of that 6th chapter, we have an index of the character of Daniel. We shall not find any occasion against this Daniel except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. I've got those words underlined. That's his character. We'll find nothing against those, that man except we find it concerning the law of his God. So they determine on a petition. And they go to the king. They flatter the king. 
They say, look, king, you're like a god. No one should ask any petition of any god or anyone but for you for a certain period of time. And the law is signed, and the decree goes forth. And we read this in verse 10. When Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being opened in his chamber towards Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did a time. That was the custom of Daniel. Three times a day, Daniel would be a prayer. Not only there, his mind is centered upon Jerusalem. And though it doesn't matter where a man looks when he prays, because his mind is centered upon Jerusalem, and because he's daily praying for the peace of Jerusalem, as we find in the ninth chapter of his prophecy, he goes to that window and he looks towards Jerusalem, and he pours out his prayer to his God three times a day. He knows the decree has been signed. It makes not a thing to him. The decree has been signed. He knows that they're going to carry it out. And he goes and he continues on exactly the same as he, were, as, as, as he ever had. You know what I would have done, brethren and sisters? You know what I would have done? I would have closed the window. That's all. I would have justified the action. I would keep up the prayer, but I'd close the window. Not Daniel. Not Daniel. To him he saw that as a challenge. And you know it's good in life to have a challenge sometimes. You know that when people put us under a challenge, they're doing the greatest favour possible. Number one, they are complimenting us. You're worth the challenge. And number two, it's an opportunity to demonstrate your fidelity toward your God. And challenges are good for the human soul. And as far as Daniel was concerned, it meant nothing. It was a challenge to him. He remained as he were. He left that window open. He could have reasoned in himself, well, look, God knows that I'm praying. It doesn't mean anything to do that. And we have to follow the laws of the land, don't we? So we'll, we'll just pray and we'll close that window. Not Daniel. Not Daniel. And the angel sees that. And Daniel's brought to the extremity of time. He's taken out, led to that, uh, the lion's den. The lions are there. They, he can see them. The rest of the president see them. He's thrown into that lion's den. He's, his days have come to an end. And he doesn't know, but these days may have come to an end. He doesn't know that but perhaps Yahweh has determined that that should be his end. He's like the three friends who are brought towards the, the open furnace and who says, look how God is able to save us, and he will perhaps, but if he doesn't, we're not going to go and bow down to your golden image. And now Daniel is brought to the same extremity and he's brought to that very cage where the lions are found. And as far as Daniel is concerned, he goes right into that lion's den. But he tells us in that same chapter and at, uh, uh, at uh, verse 17, not verse 17, verse 22, my God hath sent his angel and hath shut the lions' mouths that they have not hurt me. The lions weren't uh, themselves, uh, the lions did not of themselves hesitate to attack Daniel. They would have attacked Daniel, okay. But the, uh, the, uh, the, um, the angel was there to prevent it. Now I've been told my time is rapidly running away and I don't want to come tomorrow on the same subject again. 
I want to first of all show you perhaps uh, uh, that in the, look, in the angelic uh, host there are gradations of rank. We are called upon to be the Elohim of the age to come. What the angels are now then, we will be then. Uh, the world to come hath not been given into the care of angels. So says Paul in Hebrews 2. It will be given into our care and we will minister in that world as the angels are ministering now. That will be our function in the age to come. But there were gradations. There were gradations of rank among the angels. As there will be gradations of rank among the elect in the age to come. The Lord Jesus will be supreme. Other men will hold lesser positions. Men like uh, Daniel and men like David and men like Abraham and so forth, they will hold higher positions than those of us. All will have eternal life, but there will be gradations of rank. And in these gradations of rank, there will be work for every one of us to do of a most exciting and wonderful time. And we see those gradations of rank in the angels as they are revealed in the, uh, in the book of Daniel. Take the 16th uh, verse of the ninth, 8th chapter. I heard a man's voice between the banks of Uday, which called and said, Gabriel, make this man to understand the vision. So you see, one angel instructs Gabriel to make him understand the vision. And Gabriel is under the direction of that angel, who is a supreme angel. He's higher than Gabriel. And Gabriel's very high. Because later on when Gabriel appears to Zacharias and later to Mary to announce the birth or the impending birth of the, the, uh, John the Baptist and the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, I am Gabriel who stand in the presence of God. So he was very high, but not the highest. There was one higher than Gabriel and that one there is directing Gabriel as to what he should do. In chapter tw- 9, and verse 20, we find the work of Gabriel. Whilst I was speaking and praying, says Daniel, and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplications before Yahweh my God, for the holy mountain of my God, yea, whilst I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. He informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give this given understanding. So you see, Gabriel was sent to him to minister him in, in that fashion. In the 10th chapter and at verse 13, he says, Now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days, for yet the vision is for many days. And then he says that there is another angel. This angel is Michael. Referred to in verse 13. Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. And I remained there with the kings of Persia. And in verse 21, I will show thee that which is noted in the scriptures of truth, and there is none that holdeth with me in these things, but Michael, your prince. Here is another angel called Michael, the prince of Israel. And Michael, I believe, is that angel whom Joshua saw when he came over to the river Jordan and he saw a man there with a drawn sword. And Joshua said, Are you for us or for our enemies? And he said, No, he was captain of Yahweh's army. He was the prince of Yahweh's army. And he was in charge of the affairs of Israel. 
I believe that he was the angel referred to in the 23rd chapter of Exodus and at verse 20, when Moses was told of an angel whose name, in whom the name of Yahweh had been imposed. And that angel, Moses was told, was there to guide Israel. And Moses was told to beware of him and to be careful because of what he could do and the power that was invested in that angel. That was Michael the angel, the chief angel over Gabriel and directing Gabriel as to what he should do and a type of Jesus Christ who will be the great prince in the age to come and who will supervise the angelic angelic ministrations in that new race of angels that uh, will be manifested at that particular time. I see my time has gone and there's much more concerning the angels that we could speak of in the book of Daniel. And other names are given to angels in that particular book. But this is a subject that you can yourself develop as you read the book of Daniel and make little notes concerning the angelic ministrations in the lives of Daniel and in the lives of ourselves. Brethren, we have about four minutes now in which any brother can ask or make any, any ask any question or make any comments on what brother has to say. In the world to come, uh, it will be subject to the same to be made angels, and uh, will be made like them. The angels, as you pointed out, uh, are invisible now in the administration of what they're doing in the earth. They're moving things, setting up things, as you said. And so in the age to come, we, the faithful, if we are uh, the saints who will be made like unto the angels, will we be invisible uh, to the mortal inhabitants of the earth? The question is that as the angels are invisible to us at the moment, uh, will uh, will we ourselves as the angelic host of the age to come be invisible? The angels are only invisible now of course because they can make themselves invisible to us. Uh, but that is not necessarily the case. The angels did appear in human form as we know to Abraham, to Lot, to uh, Jacob. Jacob wrestled with an angel and right down through the record of the scriptures, angels appeared sometimes in a visible and sometimes they didn't appear invisible, but they were there uh, invisibly to the eyes of those with whom they ministered. That will be the, 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 uh, the uh, ability of the saints in the age to come. But of course the saints will be there in that period of time as the rulers of the age to come, visible to the eyes of those with whom they will have to do. Though they will have the ability, if they wanted to, to appear invisible. They don't appear invisible. They make themselves invisible. So you see, the angels will have that dual role then as they would have now. But it won't be necessary there because their function, in addition to being ministering spirits, their function will be to rule over certain cities and administer those cities. And we will find our place in cities scattered throughout the world uh, supervising the worship of the, of the people in those days. We will be a kingdom of priests, which of course the angels are not priests. 
but we will be a priestly ministration in every part of the world. Some in Australia, some in, uh, in uh, England, some in other places. In fact, I'm looking forward to this and I have sometimes discussed this with my friends back home, what we would do at Canberra when we go up there and eject the powers that be from that particular place. <laughs> In the 30th chapter of Isaiah, we have the, this, uh, this statement made, Isaiah 30 and verse 20. Though Yahweh give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, Yet shall not thy teachers be removed into, into a corner any more, but thine eyes shall see thy teachers. Now those teachers will be the immortal saints in the age to come. And it says, thine eyes shall see thy teachers. And thine ears shall hear a word behind thee saying, this is the way, walk ye in it, when ye turn to the right hand and when ye turn to the left. So they will be visible in the age to come directing the morals and the ways of life of people, able to read the hearts of those that are brought before them. So much so, you see, when the thought of rebellion may enter into the heart of some mortal, he may be walking along a street when he'll have a tap upon his shoulder. I wouldn't do that if I was you. And you see, that is what you have here. Thine ears shall hear a voice behind thee saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. But there we have the direct statement that there their eyes shall see their teachers. And their teachers, of course, will be the angels of the age to come. That is, the saints, men made equal unto the Elohim. 